الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبد الله ورسوله ارسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وان كل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد ان اقول اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وقضى ربك الا تعبدوا الا اياه وبالوالدين احسانا الى اخر الايه رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا اله الا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين um, some time ago i gave a khutbah uh, in a series of khutbahs about the rights of parents um, and how we should be the best to them uh, but you know after that i received many messages emails uh, requests and questions that have to do with real life situations about people you know in family matters to having to deal with their parents and parents having to deal with their children um and they you know like to get advice about how they can apply what Allah says in the Quran and this is actually a sign of taqwa of Allah that people are you know someone's worried that, that the way they're dealing with their family member is not in line with what Allah wants so there's there's two kinds of questions you can ask right you can ask questions about your rights and you can ask questions about your responsibilities. And what happens a lot of times is when we come to Islam, all we want to know is our rights. Like I tell me what I can tell my parents so that I can get my rights or tell me what I can tell my wife so I can get my rights or my husband so I can get my rights. So you want to come to Islam to get the answers that will put you in a more secure position. Um and that's kind of what Islam becomes. So the entire conversation about religion just becomes about what you get out of it. or what you can remind someone they're not doing in the name of Islam. While it's true that our religion does give us rights and it's also true that a lot of times our religious rights are not being given. That happens. But we don't come to the religion to serve ourselves. We come to the religion to seek truth, which means it's always balanced. Allah has given us rights and Allah has given us responsibilities. So you cannot ever look at any situation, any relationship, whether it's between us and Allah or us and another human being and only look at one side of the equation and get the entire picture. Allah did not give one human being complete advantage over another human being in any way shape or form. The only one that has complete advantage over us within humanity is Allah's messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's it. Rasulullah sallallahu we have to obey him absolutely. Right Allah created an equation in obeying Allah and our loyalty to to our messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and not even questioning him. You can't even question something he does. You can ask him questions that's different, but you can't question him. Am turiduna an tas'alu rasulakum kama su'ila Musa min qabl? Are you looking to question your messenger? Is that what you want to do? The way Musa was questioned before? Wa man yatabaddal al-kufra bil-imani faqad dalla sawa'a as-sabil. And whoever replaces their faith with disbelief has gone you know from far away from the the right path what that means is questioning your messenger's actions and questioning the rightness or the wrongness of what something did done by the rasul of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that's the same as leaving the faith itself to allah it's like you don't even believe 
So it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental condition of our iman that we accept the perfect character of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And when we don't understand something, we seek to understand it, but we never question our messenger. But any other relationship outside of that has rights and responsibilities, both. They, it's, a, it's a give and take. A teacher and a student, for example, the teacher doesn't have all the rights, and the student doesn't have all the responsibilities. A teacher doesn't have the right to humiliate their student. A teacher doesn't have the right to hit their student, or to beat their student, or to torture their student, or whatever else. A teacher has responsibilities, has a responsibility to be the best they can be to, the, to teach the subject. They have to be sincere towards for the benefit of the student. They cannot take advantage of the student. There, there are responsibilities that come with being a teacher, just like there are responsibilities that come with being a student. And the same is true of um, parents and children. Like in the dua that we make for our parents, Allah even hinted at not only the right that they have, but also the responsibility that they have. Kama Rabbayani Sahira in Surah Al-Isra, the way they nurtured me and raised me when I was small. What does that tell you? The parent's responsibility is to nurture and raise, to make sure that the child is growing in a healthy way, in an emotionally safe place. They're taking care of their finances, their food, their shelter, their clothing. They're making sure that their religion is being nurtured and they're being nurtured as, as you know, balanced and healthy slaves of Allah. Like that's their job to, to grow this plant, to nurture, right? Tarbiya, that's the word, that's the mustar from the word Rabba. Rabbayani becomes tarbiyatan. So the idea being that we have to be the best we can be to our parents, but the flip side is also true. There are responsibilities on the parent side also. So these are just some introductory comments. What I wanted to focus today on is just some, firstly, an, an, a reflection from this ayah of the Qur'an. It's a really unique place in the Qur'an, ayah number 151 of uh, Surah An'am. قُلْ تَعَالَوْا أَتْلُوا مَا حَرَّمَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ The Messenger is commanded to say, come on, I will read to you, I will, I will recite unto you the things that your Master has made haram. So this ayah will be about a list of things that are haram. Okay, so let's go through that list real quick. أَلَّا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا That you won't commit any shirk with him. Obviously shirk is haram, that's easy to understand. I'm going to skip a little bit and keep going. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَوْلَادَكُمْ مِنْ إِمْلَاقٍ نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُكُمْ وَإِيَّاكُمْ And don't kill your children because of bankruptcy. We're the ones who provide all of you and provide them also. وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الْفَوَاحِشَ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطَنَا And don't go near any acts of shamelessness, the ones that are hidden, the ones that are obvious and the ones that are hidden. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا النَّفْسَ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ And don't kill any person that Allah, whose life Allah has sanctified, except when there's justified reason, meaning except there's rule of law, except there's justice. ذَلِكُمْ وَصَّاكُمْ بِهِ That is the, the counsel Allah has given you. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ So that you can understand. So you saw a list of things that are haram. Shirk is haram. Killing your kids because even if you're going bankrupt is haram. Taking their life is haram. Going near any form of shamelessness is haram. The ones that are obvious and the ones that are hidden, different forms of them. Killing a person, is, this is pretty, pretty obvious harams, right? It's a pretty obvious list. But I skipped one part on purpose. I skipped one part on purpose so you can, uh, now I'll insert it in its proper place and you'll see why I skipped it. He started by saying, let me tell you what Allah, your master has made haram on you, that you will not do shirk with him, meaning with Allah in any way, shape or form. And you will be the best you can be to your parents. When it comes to both parents, you will absolutely be your very best. 
But the being the best to your parents has nothing to do with haram. Being the best to your parents has to do with something you should do, not something you shouldn't do. And the entire ayah was a list of things you should not do, wasn't it? It was don't do shit, don't kill, don't, don't, you don't engage in shamelessness. So there was a don't, 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 don't. And then before, right after shirk, Allah says, and be the very best you can be possibly to your parents. It's a really interesting place where you were expecting all the prohibitions. This is prohibited, this is prohibited, this is prohibited, this is prohibited. And there should be another place, here's what Allah commands you, right? And when you have a list of commands, one of those commands could be, you know, be the best to your parents. That's a command. That's not a prohibition, it's a command. But Allah put this command in the middle of prohibitions to teach us something. And the first thing in this khutbah I want to do is help you understand what that lesson is. That lesson is a pretty heavy one. You see, when it comes to our prayer, when it comes to our prayer, there's a minimum that if you do it, your prayer is good enough. It may not be the best, but it's good. You, you met the minimum requirements, right? When it comes to fasting, there's a minimum requirement. If you met that requirement, your fasting is still good, right? Okay, so let's just say somebody fasted, when while they were fasting, they read Quran the whole day. Or they worshipped Allah the whole day. It's a pretty amazing fast. Fast plus all that worship. And somebody else fasted, and the moment they, the fast started, they passed out. Then they woke up, prayed, passed out again, woke up, prayed, passed out again. And then Maghrib came and they had a flower. They had a coma, coma fast, right? But did they meet the minimum requirements? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not Ihsan, it's not the best, but they still fasted. They met the minimum requirement. Somebody you know, who made wudu, who, who faced the, the proper direction, who wore pure clothes and prayed their salah, they met the minimum requirements. Even if they were distracted in their prayer, even if it wasn't that great of a prayer, even if they maybe sometimes rushed a little bit or chose to recite the shortest surahs they know just to get it over with, even if they did that, they at least still met, and I'm not recommending any of it, but technically did they meet the minimum requirements? Yeah, you can't say they did something haram. Right? What I'm trying to say is, Ihsan means, the word Ihsan means you do something at the best you could do it. But if, if you don't do your best, that doesn't mean you failed. That doesn't mean you're in trouble. Like, it's like saying, if I don't get 100, I failed. No, I could, I could get an 85, I could still pass. A 70 still, I mean, 65 is passing in most schools now, right? So 60, okay, at least I still, it's, a, it's a D, but it's not an F. It's not an F, so it's, I still move on to the next class. I, it's not the best score, but in the list of things that are haram, this is what I want you to visualize. When Allah makes a list of things that are haram, Allah is saying anybody who crosses this line has failed. Anybody who crosses this line is in trouble. And I would argue that in the Quran, when it comes to our parents, our parents are the only ones that if you don't do, if you do anything less than your best, that's haram because of this ayah. Because this ayah is about things that are what? Haram. It's a scary thing. That Allah didn't even expect ihsan in every prayer. He didn't expect ihsan in every dealing. He didn't. He didn't say it's haram for you to be short of ihsan. But in, when it comes to parents, anything short of your very best is a violation. It's a violation. And he put it right after shirk. And he put it before murder. <laughs> so it's not a small violation, it's still it's a pretty big violation. So just as to give you an idea that in our religion, 
parents are a huge deal. They are a very big deal. But as big of a deal as they are, and as important as that is for every slave of Allah to recognize, we can also never forget that I, for example, right now, as I speak, I have my parents, so I'm thinking about them and their rights. But I'm also a parent myself. I'm also a parent myself. So I could be thinking about this khutbah and thinking about everything I owe my parents. I could also be thinking as I give this khutbah, man, my kids better be listening to this so they figure out what they owe me. Because y'all owe me nothing short of ihsan, and if you don't give me ihsan, then you're doing haram. Yeah? Then you're doing haram. So I could use this khutbah as either something to look at myself, or I can use it as a lethal weapon against my children. I could do, I could do either one. I have a choice. Because I'm playing both roles, aren't I? Rights and what? Responsibilities. But as a slave of Allah who comes to Allah's book with humility, uh, my job is not to come to the book to find what will put me at an advantage. My job is to find out if I'm not, if I'm not doing something haram. It's about me before it's about anything else. When you start reading the Qur'an so you can find things to point at somebody else, that's, that's when your relationship with the Qur'an stops. That's when it stops. Because now you're using this book to point fingers at who does what wrong. And I no longer look at myself. I no longer see this as a book that's talking about me. I see this as a book that's talking about everybody else. The, to the topic of this khutbah was parents and money. And it's within this ihsan that I wanted to, within the context of ihsan, I wanted to say some practical things about parents and money. There's a common, very commonly misunderstood saying of the Prophet that has been explained throughout our scholarship. It's not an explanation. The explanation I will give you today is not mine. It's been discussed in the sharh of this hadith across the schools of thought. Muhaddithin have talked about it. It's been discussed exhaustively, but doesn't matter how much the people of knowledge have discussed it. What people do, you know when people just want to pick something that puts them at an advantage? This is one of those kinds of a hadith. So it's a famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he told a man, Anta wa maluka li abika. And there are other similar hadith like this. You and your money, mal means money, anta wa maluka li abika, belong to your father. You and your money belong to your father. So a situation happens, I'll be hypothetical instead of talking about the emails I received. So I'll, I'll make up a scenario. You've got somebody who just, you know, started a business. Some, some young man got married, he's got an apartment, and he's you know, paying the rent and trying to save up a little bit, you know, and maybe they're expecting a baby or something like that, and his dad calls and says, hey, uh, I'm starting a new business, and I don't want to get a loan, and you know, if, if I go to the bank, then they'll, they'll charge interest on the loan, that's haram, so you need to give me X amount of money so I can start the business, right? And the son says, Dad, I can't afford to give you that right now. I can only give this much, but I have expenses of my own. Haven't you heard the hadith? You haven't heard you and your money belong to your father? You, really? This, this, and, and you pray? You pray and you claim to follow the sunnah of your prophet and you forget this hadith? What's wrong with you? So what's happening now? The father is telling the son, look at what the Prophet said, he said, you and your money belong to your father, and therefore, you're mine, and your money's also mine. Right? So here's the problem with that. If, if it's not already obvious to you, let me make it more obvious to you. Rasulullah 
clearly said in this hadith, anta, one person. Anta. He's not saying, antum wa amwalukum li abaikum. You all and your monies belong to your parents. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you one person and your money are for your father. Which means he's talking to one person. And until you know the story of who he's talking to, it's like Rasul was the was the counselor for the entire ummah. People would come to him with their family situation, right? Everybody would come to him with a different situation. So when somebody comes and says, this is what's happening in my family, this is what's going on, and the Prophet finds out the whole story and then gives a, gives a judgment, do you think that if a different family comes with a different situation and explains the story to the Prophet and he will give them exactly the same judgment or will it be a different judgment based on a different situation? It'll be different. Because in this situation, maybe the son has done something wrong. Maybe the son took advantage of the father. Maybe the son has been abusing the father financially. And the Prophet is compensating now for what the son has been doing wrong and now putting the son in his place and saying, you and your money for the things you have done belong to your father. There's context. But we, we, even if we don't know the context, let's put that aside. Everybody here knows that when Allah talks about parents, who does he put first, mother or father? He puts mother first. And when he talks about be the best to your parents, then he highlights the incredible contribution of your mother every time. So, be the best you can be to both parents. And then after that, his mom carried him, she fed him, mother, mother, mother. You don't find an ayah where Allah says, you know, both parents, they be the best to both your parents, and your father paid the bills, and your father did this, and your father... The father contributions are not mentioned like that. Whose contributions are mentioned? Mom's contributions. And here you have Rasulullah saying, you and your money belong to your father. What, the mom just got skipped? What about mom? Mom, in the Quran, and in this religion, mom comes first. Somebody came to the Prophet and said, who deserves my best behavior? Who should I be the best to? He says, your mother. The guy wants a different answer. So he says, and then who? And he says again, your mother. And then who? And then your mother. And then who? And then your father. But when it comes to you and your money, they go straight to your father. That doesn't make any sense. That must mean we're not understanding something about this hadith. From an Arabic point of view also, the lamb doesn't have to be for exclusive milkiya. Okay, so... It's, it's not, they only belong to your father. Look at, look at the rest of the religion. If, let's just say, no, 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 this is, the, this is what the hadith says, this is what will follow. What does that mean then? That everything I earn belongs to my dad. It's, it's not my account, it's his account. It's not my car, it's his car. It's not my house, it's his house. That's what it means then. If that's what it means, that when I die in Islam, when I die, there's inheritance, yes or no? And in the inheritance, does the father get 100%? Because it was his. Or does he get one-sixth? Does he get a portion? And siblings get a portion? And everybody else gets a portion? Allah's law put these... So when you're alive, it belongs to him, and the moment you die, it doesn't belong to you? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. And if it, if it did belong to you, why are you giving zakat, zakat on it? If it doesn't belong to you, why are you giving charity from it? You're responsible for your own money. So what in the world does that hadith actually mean? First I wanted to explain to you, what does it not mean? It doesn't mean that my money actually belongs to my father. The same way when my children grow up, I won't get to say to them, Hey, 
that you know I need your I need your ATM cards and the pin numbers because antum wa amwalukum liabikum. You and your your monies belong to your and what do you mean you and your monies? Meaning your time because if I be, if I belong to my father, then if he says quit your job, I better quit my job. If he says you know leave the house, I better leave the house. I do every, you know what you know if he says don't talk to your children again, I won't talk to my children because I belong to my father. When when a, when a master owns a slave, then the slave does whatever the master says. So the rules and regulations for my wife will come to my father, and the rules and regulations for my children will come from me. That's not what the hadith is saying at all. That's not what it's saying at all. That's a, that's a blatant misuse of what our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What is the correct, what is the balanced view when it comes to parents and money? All the fuqah, again, I'm not saying something new. This has all been described already. This is, this is not new information. It's just we're not aware of it. So we should be aware of it. So we don't misuse the Prophet's words, وسلم, and they're not misused on us. When it comes to the needs of my parents, when it comes to their needs, their comfort, their comfort should come before my comfort. Their needs should come before my needs. I shouldn't feel like I can just drink a glass of water while my mom is thirsty. That's not okay. That's my mom. She deserves ihsan. I will, put, I will put my comfort second, I'll put my parents' comfort first. Because that's, that's the least I can do. I, that even that won't even compare to what she did for me. And what my father did for me. I wouldn't be standing on my two feet if it wasn't for the two of them. Doesn't matter what I accomplish. And you know, sometimes the father is a farmer, or a taxi driver, you know, or doesn't have, and, and the son is a PhD. So the son has accomplished a lot more than the father. But that PhD didn't come from the son. It came from the father's sweat, blood, and tears. The father put you in this position. The father said, I'll give my son a better future than I could give myself. So no matter what I do for my father or my mother, will it never be enough. But in my religion, I am not a slave to my father I am a, or my mother. I'm a slave to Allah. And Allah made me responsible to take care of myself. He made me responsible to take care of my spouse, my children. He made me responsible to take care of zakat. He made me responsible to take care of fundamental things using my money. Using my money. And when I'm taking care of those responsibilities, and then above and beyond that, there is a need that my parents have. There's a need that they have. Then before they even ask, I should be taking care of it. I should be taking care of that need before they even ask. You should know that your dad is in debt. You should know that there's a, you know, the car broke down. You should know. You should do something about it. If you, if you can do something about it, you do it. But on the flip side, this is, again, keep a balanced equation. On the flip side, when your parents, some people's parents are doing okay. Alhamdulillah, all the needs are met. Their medical bills are paid. There's a roof over the head. The phone's working. The internet's working. All the pay, all, you know, everything's taken care of. They're living comfortably. And then the parent comes along and says, I need you to give me $20,000 because I want to start a new business. No, dad, I can't afford to give you that right now. No, no, anta wa maluka li abika. Then you are under no obligation to give your dad that. You're actually not. You don't have to provide above and beyond what you know because sometimes what happens also is, sometimes as our parents get older, then they, um, and alhamdulillah, I don't have that experience, but I've met people that have had that experience. Our parents become difficult to deal with. And they make irrational decisions. 
And they are, and the, the other thing they do they might do is they might take from one sibling, hey, you have a good job, give me the extra money. And then they give it to the sibling who doesn't want to get a job, doesn't go to school, sits and plays video games all day, and they want to give him the money. So you're not even giving to your parents, you're giving them to your, your nincompoop brother. You're giving them to the useless one who's, who, who doesn't stand on his feet. You know? And so what are parents doing? They're actually helping. They're doing two things. They're doing an injustice to this child. They're t- because Allah did not give them the right to do that for, from their child. And now they're enabling the laziness and the uselessness of another sibling. And some even worse, one, one son is in financial difficulty, barely paying the bills, having to worry about his kids, spouse, everything else. And the, on the other side, there's a wedding happening and we should pay this, this, this much money for extravagant catering and all this other stuff. And this son's going to pay for it. And if he doesn't pay for it, well, he's a bad son. He's a bad son. No, he's not a bad son. That's just bad parenting. And you are under no obligation to pay for extravagance. You're under no obligation to pay for 30 friends coming over on, you know, flights to attend this waliba and do this. You're not under any obligation. That's not, that's not on you. That's extravagance. Are your parents taken care of? And this is, this is why, In another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, your children are gifts of Allah to you. He said to the people, your children are gifts of Allah to you. You can take from their money when you have need of them. When you have need of that money. So if my father needed money, it would be a shame that he wouldn't even have to ask. I would actually, I should be thinking about what he needs before he even has to say it. Because it would be embarrassing for him to have to ask his son or his daughter for money. It would be embarrassing. It would be embarrassing. I would, I would, you know, want to run into a wall, run my face into a wall if my mom came to me and said, can I borrow $20? Where, how oblivious have I been that I don't know what my mother needs? Right? That's a shame on me. And she knows that I have and I, I just didn't care to ask or I didn't care to take care of it. Right? So there are, on the one hand, if you're able to, take care of all of their needs. Put a smile on their face. If you can give them gifts, give them gifts before they even have to ask. But if your parents are asking for things that are not needed and they're putting you in difficulty, and they're taking money that is, is the right of someone else. It's the right of your children's education. And now you're compromising your kid's education because they want to get a newer car. They oh, it's only a 2016. We need a 2021. That's a luxury. And that education is, a, you know, is a more of a responsibility. You, you and I need to have the sense to know which rights and responsibilities come first. And it doesn't matter how much somebody shames you and says you're being a bad son, you're being this or that. You know, inshallah, your parents are not like that. But if they are like that, don't take that guilt on. And you don't have to debate or put, put this video on either. <laughs> you don't have to do that. But you need to have the sense to know when to just remain quiet, not turn it into an argument, but not further this kind of wrongdoing. Right? If they have a need, some, and the other thing is, many of you come from cultures where it's not your parents that have a need. Your parents have cousins or have other relatives. They have needs. Right? Or they have, maybe they have needs, maybe they have wants. They have wants. And they know that you're a ticket to getting those wants. So they will come to your parents, and your parents will come to you. It's like a money laundering operation. (laughs) 
right? And now the son is being guilted for what they should give, or the daughter's being guilted for what they should give. So somebody somewhere can get whatever luxuries, new outfits, shoes, whatever else. And all of this is going on in the name of what? Be good to your parents. Because the Prophet said, you and your father belong, your, your money belong to your father. This is no good. This is absolutely no good. In our deen, in, by our extended family, what did Allah say? He gives his money, despite his own love of money, to close people of closeness. If your cousins in Pakistan or Bangladesh or wherever else, Indonesia, Malaysia, if your cousin somewhere or some extended family needed help, then it's not your parents that need to funnel that money. You should be figuring out that yourself and say, hey, they need help. Because Allah said, take, give money, even if you love money itself and against your love of it, and also means out of love of Allah, give that money to the close relatives who need it. But more than often, this is not about people who need it. This is about people who want it. This is about some, you know, brother, sister, cousin, uncle, who's like, ah, oh, I got this great business idea. I just need a little bit of cash. I know your, your son's pretty successful, right? Come on, hit me up. <laughs> or your daughter just got a job over there, right? She just finished her match. She's got a good job, right? Alhamdulillah. Well, you know what? We don't have good money here. We're not living that well. So, you know, you should be grateful to Allah. And so, so they shame... They shame your parents, and then your parents and turn around and shame you. And all of this is done, and this, this corruption and this manipulation is done in the name of the noble words of our Prophet and the noble words of the Qur'an. And that's not okay. That's not okay. We shouldn't take a part in that. Yet, so I've, I hope I've painted somewhat of a balanced picture. On the one hand, there's no way I should be enjoying luxuries in my life comforts in my life when my parents are in discomfort. That should not happen. That cannot happen. That cannot stand. If I can do something to make their life easier, I absolutely will. I'd rather be uncomfortable myself than see them in discomfort. It is not okay that some of you, when you were able to travel, you're flying business class, your parents are flying economy class. If you have the money to fly business class, you know what? Put the money on your parents. You go sit in, you, you go sit in the cargo bin. Put them in business class. They deserve that, not you. That it's, it's the other way around. So all of us have to look in the mirror. All of us have to see, are we doing the best we can with our parents? And all of us have to ask ourselves where this is being taken in the wrong direction. And when it is being taken in the wrong direction, that is not justification for you and me to fight with our parents. Because even if they're, they're doing something wrong, even then, even if they were doing shirk, we wouldn't follow them, but we would still treat them in a dignified way, Quran says. So even if this is happening, this is not license for you to fight with your parents. That's not what this khutbah is about. Then you missed the point about it's, you're, it's haram to do anything less than your best. Right? And doing your best when they're doing their worst is the test. Sometimes they're doing their worst and Allah is asking you to do your best. While they're doing their best, their, their worst. May Allah make us pass that test. May Allah make the children not be a trial for their parents. And may Allah not make the parents become a trial for their children. And may Allah make all parents and children a means for them to serve Allah better and to bring their hearts closer to each other by following the beautiful teachings of Allah and His beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikri al-Hakim.
الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا